Today, we are digging back into Daniel. Uh, if you were with us two weeks ago, it feels like about two months ago that we, uh, we did this. But just to bring you up to speed, uh, we have the uh, elementary school kids, middle school kids are all in here for the entire month of July. So um, I know that some of you have some things that you're looking at that your parents might have given you to, but uh, given to you. But I, I, my hope, my goal is that I will, uh, there's going to be enough stuff for you guys to pay attention to that you will stick with me. Uh, Daniel 1. So Pastor Luke, Abby uh, handled Daniel 1, and that's where we meet uh, the, the folks in our story, so Daniel, uh, they're in captivity in Babylon and um, there are some people that are set, set aside for the king. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their Babylonian names. That's how we mostly know them. And uh, they say, look, we're, we, the, the stuff, the, the food that the king is going to give us, we, we, some of that is something that, that it's, it's really doesn't work for our beliefs, but let us eat our food and then test us in 10 days. After 10 days, they're tested. They look better than those who ate the king's food and they are promoted. So God has favor on them. In the next chapter, Daniel 2, where we're not going to spend much time at all, uh, is that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel's the only one who can interpret that. And not only that, the king is so happy to have his dream interpreted that he promotes Daniel, makes him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and then Daniel says, well, what about uh, my friends? And he says, yes, you guys are all promoted. Uh, now, so like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I, I want to pause, think about the, uh, the, the mindset that Daniel and his three friends must have been in in this particular moment. Okay, they have passed the test. They were offered the king's food. They said, no, we're not going to eat that. They said, test us in 10 days. They, they looked better than the other ones and they're promoted. Imagine how excited they are. Imagine that they're like, we did it, you guys. High five. We did it. We passed the test. We, we were put through this trial and we endured it. And look at what God did. God rewarded us for our faithfulness. Like, think about the rest of it. It's just up and to the right from here on out. Things are only going to get better and better and better from here on out. Sometimes we can think that, but life doesn't always work that way. Sometimes when you do the right thing, you get promoted, as in Daniel chapter 1. Other times, it can cost you your life. Spoiler alert, looking ahead, this is not the last time that Daniel and his friends will face a difficult time. So we turn to chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar now decides that he is going to build a giant gold statue, 90 feet high. If you sort of get a picture, I don't know if the steeple is 90 feet high, but it's probably some, something that massive. And he says that everyone in the kingdom has to bow down and worship the statue as a sign of loyalty to the king. Well, for most people, that's simple enough, right? Sure, bow down, do what the king says, fine, move along. Little problem to those who are followers of Yahweh, the Jews there. And the problem <clears throat> is found in one of the Ten Commandments and really probably two of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment says to not have any gods before God. The second <clears throat> gets even more specific. It says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. 
pretty hard to get around that one. The king says, fall down and worship this image. The Bible says, do not bow down and worship this image. So while everyone is obeying the king's commands, our heroes are not. We don't hear about Daniel in this chapter. Apparently there was nobody tattling on him. But someone is tattling on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even though no one likes a tattletale, that's what happens. Chapter 3, verse 12 says this. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. This is people talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And the punishment for not bowing down was significant. If you don't fall down and worship, you are thrown into a very hot fire. Now, when I mention Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there are going to be a, a group of people in this room, young people and potentially old people alike, who can think of just one thing. And it, it's a little bit something, if I, if I say, I, I really hope this is still true of the young people of today, but if I say that if you like to talk to tomatoes, if a squash can make you smile, I hope that triggers something in our hearts, right? That is the Veggie Tales. I hope that the Veggie Tales that you think of, Rack, Shack, and Benny. It's one of the earliest Veggie Tales, and it tells this particular story in a really wonderful way. It's hard to turn Old Testament stories into children's stories sometimes, but in this case, they've got. I, th I think it looks. I think it's a pickle. Uh, who is Nebuchadnezzar? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are vegetables. And in this case, uh, Nebi, he has this chocolate factory and Rack, Shack, and Benny are the employees. And the way they set it up is that in the, at the beginning of this episode, well, they, they start with a question. So Bob and Larry, they start with a question where they say, someone has written in and said, what do I do in this situation where I think it was, they said, you know, someone turns on a movie or a TV show that I know I'm not supposed to watch and what do I do in that situation? What do I do when I'm asked to do something and I know I'm not supposed to do it, but if I, if I do, you know, if I sort of say I don't want to do that, it's going to cause friction. So that's sort of the setup for this story. Rakshak and Benny, they're employees in, for King Nebi. They make chocolate. And he says, all right, all of the employees can eat my chocolate. And these three guys say, ah, our parents have told us not to eat the chocolate. So they don't. All the other employees are like, you know, they're no good for anything because they've just been eating chocolate. And they say, oh, well, you three guys can, you know, we're going to promote you. Well, then he asks them to sing the bunny song. At that point, he says, I've got this chocolate bunny. Everyone has to bow down and sing the bunny song. Brilliant idea by these writers. And so they wrote a song that the kids should not sing, right? And they're thinking, this is going to go so well. So this, this is the song, a very catchy song. These are the original lyrics to the song that they wrote, the bunny song. The bunny, the bunny, whoa, I love the bunny. I don't love my mom or my dad, just the bunny. Now, when you write a catchy song and you play it for children over and over, what are the children going to do? They're going to learn that song and then they're going to sing it around the house. I don't love my mom or my dad, just the bunny, right? Another line, I won't go to church. I won't go to school. Again, children are all across America singing. I won't go to church, you know. Uh, children, I don't know if you know this, but Christian parents have been known to write a strongly worded letter a time or two in history. So 
the VeggieTales folks got some letters. There were some letters that were written that were like, what are you doing? Why are you, why have you written this song? My child is singing over and over again, I don't love my mom or my dad, just the bunny. And they said, oh, good point, you know, we didn't think about that. So they actually rewrote the lyrics the second time through. I, don't, I haven't scoured the internet, but you know, there's probably somewhere, there's like a, you know, some original DVD on eBay for a hundred bucks because you know, this is like, you're not supposed to have this anymore. But, so they, they changed the line to make it sort of less uh, offensive. And then they changed it a third time so that kids could sing the actual bunny song. And what sort of, you know, pastor would I be if I bring this song up? And it's going to be in your head anyway, those of you who know it. The only way to get it out of your head is for us to actually watch and, and sing the bunny. And you can sing along. The version that we're about to watch right now, that's right, we're going to watch VeggieTales in church. Why wouldn't we? The version that you're going to see is the song that they changed it to the third time so that you actually can sing along to the bunny song except for when the ladies come in, the asparagus sings at the end. You can't sing that part, but he sort of interrupts them. So here, without further ado, let's watch the new and improved bunny song. The bunny, the bunny, whoa, I ate the bunny. I didn't eat my soup or my bread, just the bunny. The bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny. But now I feel sick in the head from the bunny. I didn't eat my salad and I didn't eat my steak. I had too much candy, got a tummy ache. I need to eat good food to help me to grow. I'll obey my mama, cause she loves me so. Yeah, I'll go to church, and I'll go to school. That stuff is important, and I ain't no for the VeggieTales. And then later, so what they do instead is they sing a song that one of them has learned from their parents, but they are also thrown into the furnace. We'll come back to, to their, that version in a minute. In our real story, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar hears that the three guys won't worship the statue, he's furious. He summons them to him immediately. He gives them a chance to recant if they would like to. He says, you know, you know the rules, you have to bow down. He says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And in that moment, they had to at least think about it, right? They had to at least pause and say, 
well, do, what's the big deal? What, what, is there some way we can do it? Is there some way we can bow down on the outside but not bow down in our hearts? Because God wants me alive, right? I mean, he's promoted me. Surely he doesn't want it to end this way. But instead, uh, they don't. The first point that I want to, to make is that obeying God sometimes comes with a cost. Not every day, and most of us will, will never face the choice of death versus doing what God has called us to do, but we will face opposition for not doing what people in authority expect of us. We will be tested from time to time. Uh, my experience that I could think of personally is like one one thousandth of what these guys went through, but I, I worked for this uh, computer company out of college and I did a bunch, I was configuring computers and kind of whatever they needed around uh, there with this computer company. And one day the guy, my boss said, hey, I need you to put some software, transfer some software onto this computer. And I knew that the software that he was wanting me to put on there, the guy whose computer I was putting on, I had not purchased this software. He had asked if they would just, you know, do him a favor and give him some software that he didn't have to pay for. The thing that made this even trickier is that the guy whose computer it was, was a pastor. And he knew that I knew this guy and that I was a Christian. And so it, it made it even more awkward. And so in that moment, I was like, you know, the easy thing for me to do here is just to, just to do what I'm told, just take the thing, just do my job. And I probably wouldn't, wouldn't think about it much anymore. What's the big deal? But the more I thought about it, the more I just thought, I, I, I will be uncomfortable. I don't feel like I can do this in good conscience. And what is it going to cost me? I wasn't sure. I suppose I could have been fired, but I, I probably didn't think I was necessarily going to be. I just knew that the cost for me that day was going to be an awkward conversation, right? I knew at the very least I was going to have to deal with an awkward conversation, which for some people, especially younger age groups, that is worse, worse than death for them. They would choose death over, there's nothing worse than an awkward conversation to a young person. But I knew that that's what was in store for me. So I just said, hey, you know, I'm really sorry about this. I just don't feel comfortable doing this. And his response was, oh, okay, that's fine. We'll just have somebody else do it. He was probably a little bit annoyed, but it, it, it wasn't that big a deal. It, there was a small cost, but I hope at, at the very least that he knew that I had character and that this was just important to me. And I think ultimately he did respect what I said. That was a simple one. There are other times um, when we will be tempted to change what we believe based on what friends of ours or other people that we respect believe. There are a lot of things that the Bible holds to be true that the world around us will not just disagree with, but will hate us for believing. And we have to figure out what we're going to do about that. The Apostle Paul calls himself in 1 Corinthians a fool for Christ. That is, he knows that the gospel will be considered offensive to those outside of the faith and he just embraces it. He says, yeah, I'm a fool. That's fine. I'm a fool for Christ. We need to be ready to face tests and to potentially face opposition for how we stand up to uh, what we know is right. Stand up for what we know is right. So what happens next? Well, so they respond. And I'm reading from the ESV version here, chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And this leads me to my final point of the day, which is even when the future looks bad, God wants us to have faith in him. Now, we have to pause at this moment in the story because we know what happens next, right? We know that they are saved from the fire. If I didn't say that, some of you don't know the story. They get saved from the fire. But I want to pause right here because in that moment, as they're standing up to Nebuchadnezzar, they don't know the end of the story. They don't know what's going to happen next. God does save them. It says, in fact, a fourth person is in the fire with them. They look into, they're thrown into the fire, they're bound up, and then when they look in to see what's going on, the king says, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And we know who that fourth person is, right? We know that that is a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, someone who is has an appearance of like a son of the gods. In the VeggieTales version, the advisor to, to uh, Nebi, Mr. Lunt, he looks in and says, you know, how many do we put in there? And he says, three. He says, well, it looks like there's four guys in there now, and one of them's real shiny, which is a funny way to talk about Jesus the Savior in this moment. So we know how it ends, but in the moment, they didn't know for sure that God was going to save them. They didn't, they didn't know what was going to happen, and this is how they responded to the most powerful person that they knew. They said, go ahead and throw us in there. Because this is, this is what we know we have to do. We have to be faithful to the one who's faithful to us. And there's an important distinction too about the way that they went about this, right? They were confident. They had a calm confidence in God, but they did not overreach their confidence in God. In that moment. And some of you might, have, might be around people who overreach what they think God is telling them to do. I just remember a story about 20 years ago. I had an acquaintance that I got, had lunch with. I don't even remember how we got connected, but we're chatting and, and I'm finding out about him. And he said, well, I'm training to be a, a triathlete. And I said, oh, is that something that you've been doing a lot of? He said, oh, no, I, I, I'm not really an athlete at all. But the Lord told me that I am going to be the gold medal winning Olympic triathlete in the Athens Olympics in 2004. And of course, I don't want to sort of speak against God. And I, I mean, maybe it's true. Maybe it's going to happen. So I, I think I just sort of smiled and said, well, how about that? You know, like something just like, Okay, we'll see what happens. And I remember I, I looked back later, I kind of forgot about it, and I was like, oh, I, I looked him up just in case. You never know. God can do anything, right? Well, I, I looked it up again this morning. There was not an American in the top seven. The first American to, to even place was number eight, and it was not this guy. So sometimes people think they hear things, and and, and, and I believe God speaks to people. But when this happens, we have to have a humility. We have to not overreach. And I think we see that in these words. But if not. 
They're so important. But if not, we can all learn something from this, from this today. Our God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't liver, deliver us, it doesn't change what we're going to do. Do we have this attitude about God's care for our lives? When, when illness comes, whether for us or for someone that we love, we, we should pray and know confidently that God is able to heal. But if not, God is still good and we will obey him. When the stock market crashes, our investments take a tumble, we should pray and trust that God knows how to turn our balance sheet right side up again. But if not, God is still good. We will obey him. When our children, who we've raised to walk with the Lord, turn away from him, we, we pray and believe that God has the ability to turn them back to the right path. But if not, God is still good. We will obey him. I have a friend who grew up with a, a strong faith and <clears throat> positive guy, always just, just someone you could count on. And I, I hadn't been in touch with him for a while, but I had no reason to believe that he would ever be anything but a faithful guy, faithful to his, uh, what his beliefs were. And I got a call from a family member of his that I didn't know well at all. And they said, she said, have you been in touch with Carl lately? That's not his real name. I said, no, I haven't. I haven't. <clears throat> and she said, well... Uh, I, I'd like you to, to reach out to him if possible because he's, he's not doing well. I said, what happened? He said, well, she said, well, you know, he, he, he spent all this money on his education. He went into debt for this graduate degree. He found the perfect job and he was like, this is it. This is the job that I'm going to get. And I'm, you know, it's perfect for me. And, and here it is. And he didn't get the job. And now he wants nothing to do with his faith. He's really, really mad at God. And it just doesn't work that way. We don't, this is not how the faith works out. It's not that we are so faithful to God and then when we are faithful enough, then, then God does what we want him to do. That is not what the Bible says. That is not how the faith works out at all. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you get the, the job, but other times you don't. And you have to trust that God is providing, perhaps in a way, that was not your first choice or your second choice, but God will still provide. God doesn't owe us things. We are faithful to him and he is faithful, but not always in the way that we think. You can tell that our three heroes in the story don't have this understanding of that we're faithful to God and then he is faithful to us in the exact way that we expect it. They stand on their faith they say, God will deliver us, but if not, it doesn't change anything. We're not going to worship this statue. Because I think these guys had to be thinking, he will deliver us somehow. He'll either perform a miracle and save our lives, or he will take us to be with him. Either way, the, more, the most important thing about us, our souls, will be kept by him. They know that the worst thing that, they can, happen, that can happen to them is that they'll die but they'll be with God anyway. The way the Apostle Paul puts it is he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what happens? They're thrown into the fire. They don't die. They, they see one extra person, this shiny person with them. They're not even, their hair isn't even singed, much less, they don't even smell fire. The guys come out 
Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar issues a new decree that no one should speak against the God that saved them in this way. It's a happy ending for now, but come back next week. There's more to this story. But these guys understood with these three words, but if not, that their faith and their confidence in their God wasn't based on whether they got out of the fire or not. Because they knew that God was faithful. Their happiness wasn't based on their circumstances or whether God came through in the specific way that they wanted him to. They said, either way, we're going to be loyal to the one who is loyal to us. And it reminds me of another faithful man in the Bible who faced a trial, right? Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane knew that God had called him to an, an obedience that was going to cost him. It was excruciating. He was being asked to leave his friends, to be rejected, to be tortured, to be crucified. And he said, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. If there is any other way, and then he said in essence, but if not, your will, not my will. And then Jesus became our sacrifice and our ransom. This man who walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire he endured his own fiery furnace, death on a cross, the rejection of his father, so that we could be free. And he is now with us in times of good and in times of trial. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, would you give us the vision to see that life is not just about the good things that come our way. That life is not uh, just only about blessing, but it sometimes comes with a cost. But these light and momentary trials are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed one day. We trust in you, Lord. We want to trust in you more and more each day. May we be inspired by the example of these men who, when faced with death, said, I will still trust him. Pray in your name. Amen.